Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, uh, animation, and comics. Josh, I didn't interrupt? hear any of that any of that intro music or anything. Oh, I left it on preview. Damn it! <laughs> Let's try this again. <laughs> Going on mute. This. Nope, <laughs> nope, because it's starting over, so you can't. I'm on the plane. Open the door. How did you get in the plane? Not in the plane. I'm on the plane. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, and this is take three of today's episode. Uh, we have had some technical difficulties, some mental errors, and we are finally on track, hopefully, maybe. Uh, this week, I am joined by the incomparable Catman Alex. Alex, how you doing? You know, I ha- as we do this show, I just tear out the scripts and I just chuck them to the side each page because we, we pre-record uh, all of this. It's all rehearsed. And I can't find the pages, so I'm doing fine. <laughs> well, I told you that's just a ceremonial position that I gave you, just to make you feel like you're you're useful in other ways. I, I, I know, <laughs> but the fact that you give script notes each week is really important. <laughs> <laughs> we got to fix those plot holes, man. Like you having a Packer fan beat me up in an, while we live in Illinois, like that makes no sense. This is what happens when I'm not here for continuity control. I know, I know. I just I get around Justin, I get flustered. <laughs> understandable i mean with a voice like that who could blame you uh, it's like that's like michael buble starting to croon at you you just you you lose yourself mm-hmm. christmas can't get here quick enough so i can start listening to him again <laughs> he has other songs other than christmas songs you know i know and if and on the graham norton show he gets pissed off if you mention if you don't if you don't mention that <laughs> I do miss his Christmas specials. We're we're way off topic here already, but like he had like two or three years where he did Christmas specials and I really enjoyed those. Oh, and, they were fantastic. And now we're we're just getting like Disney semi live action concert productions, which are, are still pretty cool. Like I, I still stand by the Beauty and the Beast one that they did this last December. That was really cool. They did a Little Mermaid one and NBC tried for a while to do like live musicals yep which like those were fun but who does the sunday night football theme now carrie underwood carrie underwood yes i'm not a music person so that name i don't i whatever uh doing sound of the sound of music with carrie underwood like no you're you're kind of missing the mark there oh yeah and then peter pan with uh christopher walken as captain hook like you're that's a no pun intended that's a good hook but it's not good in the sense of like a production. Yeah, no. Uh, I was so excited when he was when he was named it. I was like, oh yes, it's gonna be awesome. And then, wah, wah. wasn't like was it Zelda Williams was Peter Pan or there was some notable actor's uh, the, the, daughter who was Allison Peter Williams. Pan for that. Allison Williams. That's right. All right, so. Before we get into this week's topic and our promo, we do have to really quickly discuss that the Screen Actors Guild is now on strike, which is great because everyone deserves fair wages. We kind of talked about this during episode 100 uh, with the writer's strike also happening. People deserve to be paid fairly, and I think that writers are very important to the process of filmmaking 
as well as obviously actors. But the idea that studios are trying to continue this process that they've had with streaming and raking in millions of dollars without fairly compensating their their production teams and cast it it's a bunch of bullshit and i don't think that as much as it's going to suck to have like probably close to two years of really bad movies or almost no movies i think it is good in the long run that we're getting a we will eventually get to a point where actors and writers will get a fair deal and we'll have a, a decent amount of job security as far as the writers are concerned. Yeah. Uh, the, when I was looking up on it today, two of the big sticking points, um, well, a big sticking point for both the writers guild and the actors guild is that they both want assurances that AI will not be used to influence jobs, take jobs, finish jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously writing is a very important process and not having you know, just a, a producer just throw 16 words into an algorithm and say, well, here's an outline and, and I'm not, and since it's not an original idea that you made up anymore, we're just going to pay you a script doctoring fee is bullshit. But then also, uh, and obviously trying to use AI to then, you know, just like, we're just, listen, you got a good face kid. We're just going to scan your face and we'll have all the programmers sit back here that we don't pay well, that we that we abuse and overuse, as has come out like about famously Life of Pi winning an Oscar and uh, the production studio that made all of that CGI had gone under. Marvel earlier this year got a lot of crap for their stuff for how viciously they use and uh, they use and overwork their stuff. Sony just had one about uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse about how overworked they were. So yeah, I can understand why they're um, striking over that. Now, what's interesting, the point I find very interesting about this is that the Directors Guild has already, they didn't strike, they reached an agreement. And their agreement included assurances that AI would not be used to, for first or second unit production or in the editing process. So the directors got what they wanted, but the producers refused to give the actors and writers what they want. Yeah, and that's that's ridiculous. Like I I can understand the allure of AI because I mean obviously I've I have used it for the podcast among other things just to kind of like spice things up. But the the thing that doesn't seem to be clicking for these producers and studio executives is that AI can only do what it can pull from other areas. It, it mm-hmm. it's not an, it can't think of anything original. It's not going to come up with an Avatar: The Last Airbender. It's not going to come up with a Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol or anything like that. It's going to just create an amalgamation of nonsense and be like, "Here's a story. What can you do with this?" That it, it just it makes no sense to me that they would try to use AI in anything other than like what Marvel has done with the Secret Invasion intro. Uh, which I think looks horrible, to be honest. Um, it, yeah. it doesn't look good at all. I don't know. It just using AI in anything other than a really specific manner, like like creating an introduction, uh, an intro to a TV show or a movie. I just I don't understand what the allure is beyond cost cutting. But mm-hmm. uh, famously in Hollywood, there's also the the phrase of you can do it well, which is going to be expensive, or you can do it cheap. And I don't understand how 
executives are just like, people will see whatever garbage we throw at them as long as we market it well. So let's just do it cheap and see how much money we can make. Like we're, we're obviously in this weird era of, I shouldn't say weird. We're in this era of Hollywood and movies where if you are not marketing something well, and if you are not promoting something's the, the strength of that thing, people aren't going to go see it. Look at Elemental. It is a beautiful movie with an, a wonderful message. It's a very basic story, but it's got a great message behind it. And it's got a lot of heart behind it that you can see when you actually watch the movie. But it was marketed as like, hey, here's Inside Out, but with elements. How does that work? We don't know. Just come see it because it's pretty. Yeah, I, I was reading some of the messaging about the the reason why Elemental was is doing so poorly in the U.S. and is going to lose quite a lot of money. And part of it is that like some of its Pixar has lost away with story a little bit. I mean, it has a good story in there, but it's also like maybe their art direction is a little off because it's like the third or fourth Pixar movie in a row that is basically attractive blobs are doing something like Soul, <laughs> uh, Inside Out, and then of course Elemental or like they're just blobby characters doing stuff you know and it's like oh, i can kind of see that and that's yeah it, it's not in a row because obviously there's like onward and soul which like soul still has that segment where it's a blobby character but then they bounce back and forth between the spirit yeah. world and the the quote-unquote real world but yeah I, I hear what you're saying is that they they kind of have found this weird they think they have found this weird niche where in reality Part of what made Pixar really intriguing from the get go is that none of their movies look the same. Like ever since Tangled, Disney has that Disney look where yeah. every movie looks like it could fit within each other. Frozen, mm -hmm. Tangled, Encanto, maybe not Wreck-It Ralph, but that's video games. But the, the, the quote unquote real world characters in the Wreck-It Ralph movies look like they could drop right into Frozen or Tangle their other movies like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Moana, that's another one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think Disney maybe is trying to get pigeonhole Pixar into a quote-unquote Pixar look, but that's not what their bread and butter was. Their bread and butter was storytelling and an art style within the animation that complemented that story. Yeah. I think that the executives want to play hardball at a time when I don't think it, they can't really can play hardball. I mean, the flash just lost tons of money. The elemental didn't do well. Marvel is not in a good position. I mean, Iger is talking about how he wants to cut back massively on the amount of shows they produce and how much they spend on them. And if he's thinking that the best way to do that is to screw over the writers I, and, and the actors, that's a problem. You know, yeah. you really need to be taking a look at like what have what have you guys been doing and pushing to get to this area? And one of the things that the writers were trying to push back on is something called the writers' room, which basically is that the producers pull them up into this big you know room, have like seven or eight of them sit around pitch an entire show series all their ideas all together pay them for a few weeks of you know work kick them out hire a showrunner and say here's the ideas get a script doctor to touch all this up and that's not work that's you know that's what you're getting with this weird as you said with like disney this weird amalgamation of 
a look. And Marvel has that issue a lot, which is they have the Marvel look and they have the Marvel tone, which is they, you know, a lot of people have hit back at them on that no matter how serious a movie is and how much in danger everyone is, you got to have a quip every third line, man. <laughs> I think a strike is was is probably well-deserved. It's the first time in 43 years the actors are striking. It's the first time in 15 that the writers are striking. But I think it's the first time, yeah, this is the first time that more than one union has been on strike since the 80s at the same yeah, time. Yeah, 1980 uh, was the last time both were on strike together. I was reading a Variety report about that. But yeah, it's coming out of a a three-year window where people were afraid to leave their homes or a a fair Mm -hmm. majority of people were afraid to leave their homes and then coming out and saying like, Hey, we're going to essentially risk losing out on a full year's worth of movies because we want more money and because we want you to take less money. Like it's, it's a weird, especially with it being new technology. Like a, as we said, AI, if you you're using an AI art generator, it's just amalgamating everything. It's not creating anything. It's, and I know like Hollywood is out of ideas anyway. And the only thing people go see now are the superhero movies, franchises, and anything that looks stupid, like cocaine bear or the Meg. If it's not a preexisting IP, or if it doesn't look absolutely ridiculous and stupid, people aren't going to go see it. And in some cases, I don't even know if that's the case because like uh, we're, we're going off on a huge tangent here. <laughs> this is supposed to be a Mission Impossible <laughs> episode, but like the Five Nights at Freddy trailer. We make the joke that it, it Willie's Wonderland is actually Five Nights at Freddy's, which from the Five Nights at Freddy's trailer. Willie's Wonderland did Five Nights at Freddy's better. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> even just from the trailer. Like I have yeah. no interest. You need to make it a claustrophobic horror movie action horror, mm. whatever you want to do thriller. It needs to be a guy in a room or a guy in a Chuck E. Cheese. And he needs to survive the night, make it a real time action thing like Nick of time or 24 do something to give it a gimmick beyond what people are going to be like, Oh, what did you see Willie's Wonderland? Because that was better. Yeah. Taking it in and out of the, the restaurant makes no sense to me. Yeah, and something that we're in right now is we have for the past like a year and a half we've been doing this we we've been getting these weird movies about not even like ideas anymore. It's about branding. We had the Frito, what is it, the Hot Fritos movie that came out just recently, Flaming Hot the, Cheetos. Yeah, the, sorry, Flaming Hot Cheetos. You had the uh, the Air Jordan movie. You know, how did the Jordans get made? You know, uh, you had the Tetris movie. Apparently, I mean, like I said, those movies seem to be good. I watched air recently and it it was actually quite good. The the only thing I could have done without was there's this weird, like Nostradamus moment where Matt Damon's character is giving this speech. He's like, you're going to rise to the status of a God, but then you're going to fall. And they start showing like highlights of like Michael Jordan's an adulterer, Michael Jordan's baseball career. Yeah. Like there, it's this really weird thing where he's basically foreshadowing Michael Jordan's career. And it, yeah, but at the end of the day, your shoe will persevere and your brand will persevere. Yeah, and you're gonna you're gonna like call okay, back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Uh, but I mean, it was a good movie. But at the same time, I had lost a lot of money. Did you really need a hundred million dollars to make that movie? No, I mean, we had that. 
and um, that had a, the last dance on ESPN, a six part <laughs> documentary. We had that. So man. good. That was so oh, good. The last dance. I was riveted. Watched that every week as Same. it came out week to week. Oh, but I mean the Tetris movie and you know, from our stand, mostly true, except they added some weird chase sequences and stuff. But... And apparently they stole some game grumps footage. Uh, they show Mike Tyson's punch out and yeah. they forgot to crop out the game grumps border. <laughs> so there's like this orange border around the punch out screen and it's they someone just clipped segments of the game from the game grumps youtube channel no they went okay you, okay nobody has this let's go to youtube oh, okay this is video footage let's so let's not even bother you, downloading an use. emulator it's fair use. <laughs> yeah it's fair use yeah we'll just take it oh it's branded fair use <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I would like to so one of the so i enjoyed the D movie that came out Mm-hmm. yes you and i both enjoyed it um i thought it was a little superficial so my friends thought it, was a, it wasn't superficial but it was fun however it lost a ton of money for mattel uh or hasbro sorry it lost a ton, a ton of money for them because they spent around 230 million dollars on it and it's like it seems like these executives are not understanding that they need the appropriate level of spending they need to get on something they just want it quick. They want it cheap. They want, but they want to make it. At least they want a name recognition, and they want it. They want to pay more for an IP and an, and one or two good, one or two stars, than they do for quality. And that is yep. the part that I think they're start that I think needs to be pushed back on, and definitely should be being, should be something the writers and the actors get. Um, a, a story came out earlier of them talking about residuals, and oh, I forget who, I forget the person, but oh, it was um the energy vampire from What We Do in the Shadows. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He did like a three or four part arc on The Office. He gets more every year in residuals from that than he does the residuals of What We Do in the Shadows. Well, I mean, The Office is like one of the most syndicated shows ever. It's on like six different networks right now between, yeah. I think, like Comedy Central, Freeform, the comedy, ch- there's like a comedy channel or a funny channel or something. I think it's like Icon. It, like there's a handful of TV networks that just almost exclusively run reruns uh, or syndication syndicated episodes of The Office. Yeah, but th- like three episodes versus his five seasons on the that is kind of wild. Well, what we do in the shadows yeah. is very niche. Like, and, and that's yeah. part of the streaming thing though, is because people like me, I've, I haven't seen the most recent season of what we do in the shadows, but I have watched the show on Hulu mm-hmm. because that's where it's at. And it sucks that the guys aren't getting proper residuals because of streaming licenses and because of an oh, outdated yeah. union contract. And mm-hmm. that's what they're, excuse me. That's what they're fighting for is, yeah proper residuals through streaming now studios never and streaming companies never give actual data on like new views proper uh, ip like address views and whatever because like red notice is the number one viewed anything ever on netflix and it's got like over 200 billion hours viewed or something like that and i'm sure there's some kind of because it's a netflix exclusive i'm sure there's some kind of residual built into that for its stars and other people involved with it that got residual numbers. But if that was a, a, a theatrically released movie that went to Netflix and then became the most viewed thing ever, 
those guys wouldn't see nearly a penny out of any of that. Yeah. And that's where all this fighting is coming from. But we've been going off on this for about 22 yeah. minutes now. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to go here from Slade, Tim and Joey at the Game Club pod. And when we come back, we're going to talk Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Join me, Joey, and my co-hosts, Tim and Slade, at the Game Club podcast, where every two weeks we review video games not too dissimilar from a book club. Looking forward to seeing you there, idiots. Yeah, you stupids. Tim, do you want to jump in on this? I will not bandwagon audience views. <laughs> that was great. So yeah, Game Club Pod. If you're if you you're a big stupid, check them out. <laughs> that was fantastic. I did not uh, expect that random casual British <laughs> droll just mockery. How dare you not expect it with two thirds of the hosts being British? <laughs> so Alex, so we Josh? went and saw oh. Mission Impossible: <laughs> Dead Reckoning Part One. And yes, we oh boy, it's the longest Mission Impossible ever. And as much as I hate to admit it, this is probably my second most anticipated movie of the year behind Across the Spider-Verse. And uh, I think we, with as long as we're already running, we're going to go full spoilers straight out the gate. So here's your spoiler warning for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Before we dive too deep into it, as I mentioned, this is like my second most anticipated movie of the year as much as i hate myself to admit it <laughs> this movie does the part one of two right yes yes somewhere it's... in there it hits something it hits something like a exclamation is there like a riverside like <laughs> cheer button or something i know there's a there... clappy one hit the clappy one <laughs> i already i already deleted it because we don't need damn it <laughs> but yes it, it does the thing that you need to do in a part one of two you establish the two part stakes but then you create a goal to, to accomplish in part one, whether the bad guy completes the goal or in like in infinity war or the good guys complete the goal. It's done properly. Alex is doing a dance because he's weird. <laughs> no, I am so happy. I haven't had to say allegedly yet. And yeah, I know you enjoyed this. <laughs> I hate that. I enjoyed it because Tom Cruise yeah! is the fucking worst allegedly. in my opinion. Allegedly. No, not allegedly, because I said in my opinion. Allegedly. <laughs> nope, it's not alleged because it, it is my factual opinion, which is a oxymoron. But again, to reiterate, it does the part one of two right to make this a satisfactory movie. Unlike Across the Spider-Verse, where it's just a really long movie that's now going to have a four-year intermission. This movie is going to have a two, three-year intermission because of writer strikes, actor strikes. And I think they were like 40% completed on filming before they had to take a break to start before they had to start amping up for uh, marketing interviews and whatever press interviews. That's it. This is probably one of the, the weirdest mission impossible movies though, because. Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the bad guy isn't exactly a bad guy. The bad guy is Skynet. Oh, I thought you were going to like do the, um, uh, do the record Ralph thing is just because you're a bad guy doesn't mean you're a no bad it's guy. it's a bad guy and, <laughs> and honestly there there's some stuff in here that it I, is a little stupid because the 
the the it's the hubris bullshit of the, the the world's governments so basically there's this ai that if i'm remembering correctly the u.s government created and then implanted yeah. into a russian sub to because the sub is a, a stealth sub so you can't detect it on sonar so they implanted an ai somehow the ai was supposed to make it findable and the ai went rogue as ai tends to do and decided it's gonna just make a nice little home in the submarine and sink it in the bottom of the Atlantic uh, of the Arctic. Now every government in the world is trying to find it, but they have to get a couple of keys first so that they can unlock whatever it unlocks, which is the, the AI CPU. But <laughs> every government is like, Oh man, if we had the power of this thing that can hack into the internet and rewrite history, we can control the world. And it's like, how do you expect to make this thing work for you it's already gone rogue you can't rewrite it you can't delete it you can't make it you can't what it retrofit it you can't do anything that's going to make it not go rogue again there, there's yeah that's that's probably my biggest plot point issue with this movie is that every government is just like this is we're going to rewrite history we're going to tell everyone that the british won the revolutionary war we're going to tell everyone that uh george bush was behind 9-11 we're gonna tell everyone that this or that it, it like it, it's just it's a really weird concept that doesn't quite work for me because the logistics around it with what they're already establishing as the threat it just it it doesn't mesh i understand wanting to get it and prevent it from deleting history or bankrupting the american economy I get that. If that was the plot point, okay, great. But because every government's trying to make a power grab, they have to make it enticing in some way. It's like the it's like making dinosaurs weapons in the Jurassic <laughs> World franchise. It's stupid and it shouldn't work, but it's entered at least in the first movie, <laughs> in the first Jurassic World movie, it was at least like, okay, this guy's dumb, but like, okay, I can kind of see what they're going for. In this one, I see what they're going for but it still just doesn't work. It's, it, it, it's just not quite there. It's not fully, it's not a fully formed idea beyond governments want power. So I think I'm going to have to either read like a write-up or something like that. Cause my interpretation of it was slightly different than yours. Um, but because it took so long to get to what, all right. So quick summation, Beginning of the movie, Russian sub doing Hunt for Red October stuff. Fires at something, uh, thinks there's somebody there, thinks they're being followed, fires at it, it disappears, turns out that it was like a glitch in the AI. They try to disrupt the missile, the missile, uh, this, uh, missile actually comes back around, hits them in a certain spot so as not to completely destroy it, but sink it. People die, the keys that were used to unlock the core where the AI are, are on the... the are on the Russians. They eventually get picked out from underneath the ice, but no one's sure where the sub is. Yeah, because the the ice melted and they drifted. So yeah, like, they no drifted. one knows where it is. Yeah, because it's been like six months. They said like, oh, that happened in February. I think they said somewhere like, I think this is July or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, so they're looking for the keys. Now, I appreciate know... that detail though. Like it, it, it's a good, it's it's fills out the world. Yeah. 
because they're looking for the keys, but they're not sure what the keys unlock. But they know we need the keys because the keys work with, they call the AI the entity. And the entity, yeah, was a U.S. thing that they were testing. They were kind of like putting it in a few different places to like see what this AI could do. They gave it parameters, went rogue, and now it has its own living ecosystem. It's been hacking governments all the time. I love that sequence of the entire like CIA and FBI are working on typewriters to hard code all their information into files. See, I hated that moment. I understand oh. what I visually understand what they're going for, but why the hell could they just not, why could they just like create a couple of computers that are not connected to the internet and print them? So here's the, th the reason why that's actually based off a real world thing. Back when Putin came back into power in Russia in like 2008, Russia became the largest buyer of typewriters in the world because they wanted all the information to not be hackable. That is why there's so few leaks out of the Russian military industrial complex. Because they do not do that. Okay, but again, if it's already on a hard drive, you, you unplug the hard drive from the internet, you unplug the printer from the internet, and then you just print it. Because what are they already, what are they, what are yeah, they I mean, copying it off of? What are they copying that off of anyway? Did someone handwrite it and then they're typing it? Or did they print mm -hmm. it and then someone's typing it? Like, there's a logistical issue there too, where okay, something is not quite right. Because somewhere along the line, someone had to print yeah. this. Yeah, I can kind of see that. No, no. Okay, so I get, I get what you're saying. I, I, I like the interpretation of that moment. But, Visually, I think it works. Yeah. I understand it. It's hard. You're, you're trying to show off that it's going to be hard work to put all this digital information into a hard copy. I get it. I think the logistics of it are dumb, though. But the... So they need keys. They need keys forever. And finally, towards the very, very end of the movie, I mean, like we knew, like as the audience, I think those are the same keys from the beginning of the movie, right? Yeah. Finally, what the reveal is, is that the original source code of the entity is on this thing, on the submarine, in, the, in there. And I'm like, okay. So that is why my interpretation of the goal is for the government, whichever government gets the original source code, they can pull a Matrix 3 delete the entity with its original code and now they have the original code that they can put safety nets on i think that's stupid i don't think it's gonna work <laughs> but i i get the interpret i get that they okay we get there we get the source code we can delete it we pull a matrix reboot reset everything we have control again and then of course then ellie settler goes well that's the illusion you never had control to begin with <laughs> even then ethan hunt goes even i was overwhelmed by the power of this place but it's out now <laughs> <laughs> and then in the corner ving rames is just going well uh th there there it is <laughs> where the in crycheck goes spared no expense <laughs> <laughs> And then Kittredge is like, we're going to make a fortune off this place. <laughs> so I think that's what the goal was, but it took a long ass time to get there. But, but on the plus God side, damn, I had fun getting there <laughs> on the plus side. Haley Atwell. I really wish I had a swoon sound effect. Oh. My God, that woman we were talking, <sighs> we were talking the other day about, how Gal Gadot has like no charisma and how her character in Red Notice felt like the writers had like Scarlett Johansson in mind. And as I was watching Dead Reckoning part one, I was like, Haley Atwell would have been so much better in Red Notice than Gal Gadot. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. More Haley Atwell, please. Like, kill Ethan Hunt in the first, like, five minutes of the next one and just let Haley Atwell take over. I'm fine with that. that. That'd be the best Mission Impossible ever. So, my favorite thing about her performance... Is that she was is there. That, yeah, but... Okay, so... Big action scene with the um, the car chase, which, by the way, this is another thing I loved about this movie. One, you're absolutely 100% correct. This movie actually does a part one of two of accurate, accurately. There is a goal. There's a mission. They accomplish it. There's a character arc for every person in the, within the movie. And at the end of it, it's like, we still have work to do. That is exactly what you need for part one or two. That's how you do a proper Empire Strikes Back. This movie is also how you properly do... A fucking car chase sequence says 15 minutes or 20 minutes long because the one in Indiana Jones took for fucking ever. Felt like there was nothing going on. You lost track of all, of all the people in it. You lost track of what was action, what was happening. There was just kinetic action on the screen. In this movie, I know where everybody is. I know where everything's happening. I know where, I know where the mission's going. And and they even they have great humor in it. And I, I seriously do love that they just keep switching seats of who's driving. <laughs> Yeah, the sequence where they they roll and they end up literally switching sides through the roll, <laughs> and they just look at each other like, "What the fuck?" They're like that was that was great. Um, oh yeah, but yeah, Haley Atwell from the minute she arrives on screen, she she steals the show, and I oh, see yeah, why. She... Again, big spoiler, I see why they killed off Rebecca Ferguson's character. I'm pretty sure they killed mm. her off because of Dune, and they she couldn't split her time, but mm. I just. There, there wasn't enough room for both of them as far as the story went. You, you hurt me, Josh, because so there's two pieces of this movie that I do not like. The sudden twenty six years into this into this franchise, we suddenly get a sprinkling of Ethan Hunt's background that he he was apparently like some rogue dude who like kind of like a bad boy thing and. Gabriel, the <clears throat> the mouthpiece of the entity, killed his like girlfriend, wife, whatever, framed him, and he got picked up by IMF to IMF stuff. And then they killed Rebecca for Isla, which I like her. She's fun. Ilsa. She's, I, Ilsa, sorry. I like her. She's fun. She she. Oh yeah, badass. no, she's great. But <sighs> but again, they killed the wrong person. You could have done. Kill Ethan, have Ilsa <laughs> and Grace, Haley Atwell's character. They become the new leads. Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg continue to do their thing. And the movie still is fantastic. And you have two very awesome female leads taking over the franchise. Okay, I will say this, though. the they Even though the entity is a pulsating uh, Ringu, the ring circle <laughs> it's an eyeball it's a weird eyeball it's an all-seeing eye something yeah, or other Illuminati. Yeah, that sequence where it is actively hacking their stuff to set up that those fight scenes is so well done yeah that was really good oh like i i mean yeah they showed it kind of originally tricking around messing with you know like because like being rames was doing it during the airport sequence of like messing with stuff and then something else was happening but that when it started actively manipulating them in the moment to achieve its goal, and they had no idea what was going on because it was cutting their connection with each other, it had already gotten all their voice imprints and how they in their speaking mannerisms through that through that stuff in the airport and other places. That was, I was like, okay, this is good. They're 
they are taking AI voice actor, the fake videos, the deep fakes, AI, chat GPT. They're taking all that stuff to like the logistical five years from now possibilities. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff done with the AI. I think the only issue I have with it, again, is the the government's thinking that they can just control it or as you said, maybe they they take the the idea is to take the source code and that will allow them to rewrite history or do whatever to attack uh, the information highway of a, a specific country. Yeah, I I don't know how I feel about that because I think it's a little too outlandish to to be like, oh, the Brits won and they got the code, so now uh, the United States is a British territory again because <laughs> according to. <laughs> The, the new AI history books, the, the American Revolution was won by the British. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a bit much. Um, you know, it is fun to like, you know, to play with what is happening in real time and that they would be interacting with the moments. And while they control the moments, then they're building their own new history. And as they're building their history, it continues on down the road. I like that. I think that is a cool idea. And like there, there are other things, too, because, again, you could you could manipulate the economy so that the ruble is worthless Uh, or you you could do other things within the economy. You could boost your own, you can do other things. Logistically, again, that makes sense, but the movie never goes to that extent to be like, we could do this. It's always about like rewriting history and whoever has the a, whoever has the entity can write whatever history they want. And just using that terminology, I think is confusing because it makes the motivations for these countries weird. Like obviously they're they're making a power grab, yeah. But like, if if somehow Australia got it, is every are they're just gonna run around and like change everyone's dictionaries so that tracksuit is tracky dack? Like <laughs> everyone's every every country's uh, national animal is the platypus. Like, what are they gonna do? That is just I, it, it's it's a weird concept that in the context that they put it in, I, it just makes my brain hurt. So I will, I will ask you this, Josh. Yes. Tom Cruise is still the worst and Rebecca Ferguson should not have died. Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt should have died. No, I was going to ask you this. Did you have fun? (laughs) See, that's a really good question actually, because (gasps) I think this is actually maybe the least fun of the what is this four newest mission impossibles? Yeah. I think it's really good. I think it's compelling, but I don't think it's, it's got as strong of a story until the very creepy end of fallout. I don't think the stunts are as compelling as Hmm. they were in like ghost protocol, rogue nation or fallout. Uh, Like fallout has two or three really good practical stunts, including the halo jump which is augmented a little bit from through for like the, the thunderstorm and whatever. Yeah. But overall it's like the bathroom fight scene alone. Like there, I don't feel like there's something like the bathroom fight scene in this one. There's, there's really good action and there's Mm -hmm. really good storytelling in here, but I do feel like the tone is a little bit more empire strikes back. It's not Mm. as interested in, in those adrenaline highs as the previous movies were. See, I was having um, I was having a lot of fun, and uh, I was in a bit of sour mood when I got there because it just, I, I had this week off, but it's not really been a lot of rest week, 
and the longer the movie went on, the more I enjoyed it. Like I, I love the part with um, Sudden the Man in Black, who shows up to uh, he's apparently the head of the Department of Intelligence, and Buttercup's not there, but that's okay. And he's like, okay, so what is going on? Like, what is IMF? What, the monetary fund? No, no, the impossible mission force. There is an impossible mission force. <laughs> like him, like talk about how basically absurd this this franchise is. Then, the, like the the great little moments of humor with him and Haley Out, uh, Outwell, and they're like, you know, with like um the little lighter, which has to do something. We don't know what it does yet, but there's got to be a reason. Oh no, why they, they said what it did. Up. It's it's uh yes. it's a it's a tag or something like that. Oh yes, yes. Yeah, it's something for those glasses. Um, but oh, going yeah. back, going back to that scene in the the director of the CIA's office or whatever he was, um, Carrie Elwes's character. Yes. Um, what when the guy who shows up with the smoke bomb and the the gas mask when that guy shows up. I was 99% certain that the AI had the entity, whatever you want to call it, had created a robot body already, or like it's some kind of oh, weird yeah. hologram body. Cause like that dude looks like something a computer would create. Oh yeah. That was, that was so like, I was like, that's gotta be Ethan Hunt because this dude is way too creepy looking. And it turns out it's actually just an actor with a kind of interesting face. <laughs> 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 yeah, but like I, I, I thought that was the entity, and it was gonna make itself known to the government, and like it had, I thought yeah. it had either like brainwashed someone, a la Agent Smith, in the Matrix Revolutions, or it was uh, a robot body or something. I'm like, th mm. this is this is where the the entity makes itself known, uh, but nope, it's just Ethan in a mask, and it was Kittredge's messenger man. By the way, I also say I would take a um. I would take a new eighth Mission Impossible movie if it was Grace, Ilsa, and Mantis, because I love Mantis. <laughs> Paris, she be, yes, Paris. She seemed to be having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, I was kind of hoping she would be nonverbal because she seemed, until literally the last like forty minutes of the movie, I don't think she actually said a word. She like yelled and other things, uh, which I'm. I will admit to a little bit of a, a knowledge gap. I don't know if nonverbal people can like scream or emote mm -hmm. that way, but she, she didn't utter a word until she gets betrayed by the entity and Gabriel. Yeah. Her, her look was so stronger in the movie, especially like that weird kind of like domino face paint things she had going in the, yeah, the, the Harlequin scene. or mime kind oh, of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. And she just seemed to have sheer joy driving that, vehicle just wrecking car after car in rome that was fun yeah no i i had a lot of fun like i appreciated the moments of levity like simon peg yelling at ethan hunt to hold like you know do something you know like i don't know it was like i'm under a lot of stress right now you figure out how to jump your vehicle uh, your <laughs> motorbike which kind of was a callback to fallout when he's like tracking him and it turns out he's like, listen, it's just across the bridge. You know, it's like, it's the next step. Why don't you just go through the window? He's like, I'm like 10 stories up. He's like, Oh, didn't have it in 3d. And then that lady, that one lady, when he smashes up the window, that one lady gives him like a little silent nod. Like you got this. <laughs> you know, and of course he then goes and does a big jump. But yeah, this one, it was a lot, a lot more serious than the others. Yeah. I, 
I mean, that's not to say I did not have fun with this movie. I did. I just don't think that there were as many moments of levity like that. Um, most of those moments happen in little banter moments with Haley Atwell's character and Tom Cruise, which they have amazing chemistry. Like, fantastic. Uh, I, I I hated Tom Cruise even more because I'm like, Haley Atwell's my girl. Back the fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I liked it, man. It was it was fun. It went by really quick, and yeah, the the resolution was solid. And yes, we still have a second movie. They still have to resolve a lot of stuff, but I'm a little intrigued by what's in the next movie because part of the thing about this is that they kept mentioning that like governments are starting to go like go to hard copies instead of digital copies. Um, Luther mentioned, you know, they have to replace their comms after a very cool thing of being hacked and being all given different directions and stuff. And they're going like analog stuff. But there is a promo that Christopher McQuarrie, the director, and Tom Cruise filmed where he's like on a bi-wing airplane saying, hey, listen, you know, we're, we're here filming Mission Impossible, you know, Dead Reckoning Part 2. Look forward to seeing you guys in the theaters in July for Part 1. And they like kind of fly away because they have to get some shot before the sun goes down. And I'm like, is the next movie going to be like legit pre-60s technology that they're using? They're using biplanes and like <laughs> going co almost completely analog. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, um, I, I clocked that in the first time we see Ethan after he kind of helps initiate a guy, uh, a career into the IMF. The, the mission briefing was on a cassette tape. Oh, and I, yeah. I, it didn't it didn't register with me until they started talking about analog. And I was like, oh, that explains why it was on a cassette tape and it was in a tape recorder uh, or tape player instead of and like everything was physical pictures instead of this high tech projection stuff that they had in the previous movies. I didn't put that together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My other sticking point, and this is this is the thing that slightly pissed me off a little bit. Haley Atwell has big, open, beautiful brown eyes. Yes. Oh, yes. I know exactly what you're going to be talking about. Yeah. Vanessa Kirby, the White Widow, has big, pale, pale blue eyes. And yes, I understand the machine broke, so they couldn't make um, Ethan his, and I think it makes the contacts as well or something like that. I get that. But I'm sorry. If my boss, wife, whatever, is in one outfit, steps through a door with blue eyes steps to another door with brown eyes in a different suit. I'm going to go like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah. There, there's no way no one. And like, it's clearly meant for the audience in the, the way that they did this is so that you can tell who is who. So like, Oh, it's brown eyes. So therefore it is Haley Atwell in the mask. But that, as you said, it doesn't work when you're in a universe full of super spies. Yeah. They would notice that in an instant. Yeah. And in previous movies, they have done that where they remove the contacts. Like the third movie, uh, where he's pretending to be Philip Seymour Hoffman. They like have like to take off the thing, pop out the eye contacts, remove the little throat modulator thing, which she does. Um, I think Vanessa Kirby did a really good job portraying someone not herself, like doing some of the off mannerisms. Yeah, portraying Halo someone, Alpha. portraying her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really good. You know, very um, was it Deathly Hollows Part One kind of thing. You know, no, you're gonna pretend to be me while pretending to be her, pretending to be me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, it was good, and I liked it. But that just, I was like, dude, giant brown eyes. Mm -hmm. 
your boss has blue eyes, crystal clear blue eyes. Do not see this. I'm excited for the next one, but I can I will see myself revisiting this one because the effortless charm of Haley Atwell, the fun of of Mantis, um, Crycheck being Palm back Clementine. was good. Yeah, I, I can never get her last name right, but yes, Palm Clementine. Simon Pegg and you know being Rames are still a good to are good to view, good to view, um, and Gabriel I actually I really liked him. I I found it super sinister when he and Vanessa Kirby get into their fight, and he just kind of says, hmm, "I was hoping it would be you." <laughs> oh, you, you mean yeah. uh, Elsa Rebecca Ferguson? Yeah, Elsa. Thank you. Gosh, dang it! <laughs> you, you said Vanessa Kirby, who is the White Widow. Sorry, Rebecca Ferguson. Yes. It, it yeah. Was, so one thing I'm I'm excited to see in Dead Reckoning Part Two, Mission Impossible Eight, is there's one moment when the train sequence starts where I think it's Paris Palm Clementine's character. Uh, she opens up essentially like a, a casket, and Gabriel is in there, and he's wearing this headgear that is clearly the entity communicating to him or mm-hmm. rewriting him or something. Oh, yeah. And it, that's that's something we're not really going to get an answer to what that is until the next one. And I'm really curious to see what clues they foreshadowed in this movie going into the next one, because there's no obvious foreshadowing in this movie other than Rebecca Ferguson's death. Yeah, there's because there's no foreshadowing there. The, the first time she shows up on screen, she dies or they fake her death, which I admittedly, I thought that very well could have been a death because the way they did it, which is they're in a firefight in a, in the desert. Tom Cruise sees that she's been shot and the body isn't moving. And then they cut away, which in the case of a hero's death or a protagonist's death, it can either go one of two ways. Usually, usually it's a little bit more drawn out where someone like holds them up, starts crying, doing whatever, trying to wake them up or you cut away on the body, which is what they did. But then they cut back and show that she's fine. She got grazed or something. And then they just send her on her way. But that that first time she showed up, it's essentially foreshadowing that she's going to die. It's preparing you mentally like, oh, she could die. Mm -hmm. But overall, I, I, I don't think they did much with Ilsa other than reinforce that she and Ethan have been in some kind of relationship for the last however many years since Rogue Nation. And also how bad of a sword sword fighter is she that she can't win a knife fight with a katana (laughs) thanks we forget the entity already predicted that's how that was going to go (laughs) so the entity knew she sucks with a sword (laughs) apparently (laughs) she brought a sword to a double knife fight (laughs) or 19 knives apparently according (laughs) to that train sequence with him and ethan how many damn knives are you gonna pull out man (laughs) yeah seriously He's just he's got a he's got a garter that has like go stops every two inches on his leg that has a different <laughs> knife on it. Uh, I will say that that train fight was a nice callback to the first movie, and then oh, it, I made me so claustrophobic of them fighting on their bellies on top of a train in a tunnel. <laughs> yeah, and I I appreciated the fact that there was still like overhead things uh, like mm-hmm. lights um, that they had to try and avoid. there's a lot of real realism that they build into these things. And like, that's what Tom Cruise goes for is these realistic elements and practical effects and stunts so that people buy into it more. 
because uh, there's like a moment where he like slips and falls and like catches himself barely and before they get to the end of the, of the tunnel and it, it's just it's really well done obviously and he and Christopher McQuarrie have found this really good rhythm with each other where they understand how to shoot these action sequences again storytelling I don't know where I feel dealing with an all-knowing AI is tricky it's almost as hard to deal with as time travel and keeping it consistent with what it can and can't do you don't want it to be borderline magic before the train sequence when Benji's trying to direct Ethan a, a path where he can parachute onto the train I I was so ready for the entity to take over the car yes because Benji like disappeared There's... for a while mm-hmm. and I it, it would be very easy for them to be like oh it hacked the uh the computer system the the uh sat nav system on the on the BMW so now Benji's getting kidnapped by the entity and like that's the Han Solo hook prominent BMW brief placement before he hits self-drive so he can move out of the driver's <laughs> seat so he has more room for the laptop I was like uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a really big disclaimer somewhere in the credits like BMW does not endorse this idea please don't this is a work <laughs> of fiction <laughs> yeah I thought that was gonna happen but I I, I also did like the idea that the reason why Gabriel does not exist is that his digital archive, his digital presence has been deleted, but then also it deletes him in real time. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting concept that is actually feasible. I mean, as far as my way, we're not doing it. I mean, at least, you know, but it sounds like it's reasonable. It could be done. Yeah. Yeah. And then I did like that. Apparently the entity decided to fuck with him uh, with Ethan by going into his uh, augmented reality glasses and letting him see him for just a moment. That was interesting. I was like, whoa. I was like, that's got to be a glitch. No, that's intentional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it apparently has set up this somewhat convoluted plan. It's it's got the AI has a Joker plan, but it's based on probabilities. So you can kind of justify it a little bit instead of it being just like, I'm a master psych psychoanalyst and I can do whatever. Yeah. So what yeah. do you, what did you think of um, Briggs and Dag? I think it's Dega or Degas, the, the, the FBI agents that are hunting Ethan throughout the movie. Um, I thought, it, I thought they were fun in the time we got with them, but it, I know Jeremy Renner got hurt at some point and like he wouldn't have made production anyway because of his accent that he had with the the snowblower. Yeah. But like how how do you not make that someone more meaningful to the story or the franchise? I think that the older guy was obviously supposed to be Jeremy Renner. He had kind of the Jeremy Renner kind of haircut thing going yep. going that that Renner wears when he's not doing um Hawkeye. It seemed like the he and Ethan had some kind of relationship because of the way he talks about him, which that is actually another fun thing. Thing he's like, listen, we're going after this guy named Ethan Hunt. He's basically an agent of chaos. He goes rogue every forty-five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and then of course the young kid is the younger one. I believe is from that drop in the beginning. I think is that the same actor? I couldn't say, but uh, apparently he was also uh, Javi Coyote Machado from Top Gun Maverick. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. that's cool. Nice. Which I still haven't seen Top Gun Maverick. I choose not to at this point. <laughs> they they both they have a reluctance. Like, yeah, they're doing their job. So there's once or twice where it's just like they have the option to shoot at him. But it's like, no, we have to fucking fight these other guys. 
then we'll get him. And we're not going to shoot Grace because everyone loves Haley Atwell, so fine. <laughs> yeah, so the, the only thing I still don't fully understand, which maybe you can explain to me, is Kittredge at the end. Because he, he narrates the, the final segment of the movie where he's reiterating Ethan's uh, mission to go after the entity. I just... I don't understand where Kittredge's loyalties lie at this point because he's trying to get the AI for the U.S. government, which Carrie Elwes is the bad guy in that in that power couple that they have there. But there's nothing in the movie to say that Kittredge does not also want the entity for those same reasons. So, like, why is he now okay with Ethan going to hunt and kill the entity? See that I'm not sure because Kittredge was what in the first and I think maybe the second one or at least I think he's in the first one. two. Okay, yeah, Kittredge does, is doing his job, but I think that is I think what they're trying to say is that Kittredge is going to always be a straight company man who's like, hey, listen, the job is to get this. We're gonna, you know, I'm going to get this. You need to get this, but. So I'm assuming that he still thinks he can has a ploy or a way in with Ethan to not destroy it. Or there was no scene where he finds Carrie Ellis's body, so maybe he doesn't know that the government was ultimately behind it all, just kind of fuck it up. I'm not sure. I, I took that as he still we still need him kind of thing. You mm-hmm. know, the IMF is going to exist. Ethan is going to Ethan it up. <laughs> and... It's better in his hands than it is in Gabriel's hands at this moment. Yeah, it just it was a little confusing to me, especially with Ethan still essentially running because he doesn't want to get taken in by the government. Overall, I will say this is a a must see movie Um, again. Hate, hate myself for loving these movies. Tom Cruise, I I just do not like him. He's a bad person, but but damn it, he makes fun movies and he knows how to make consistent movies. And, and like we were talking for 20 minutes earlier about what Hollywood is missing and it, it's it's missing the passion. So before we get going here, uh, I did pull up the, we're recording this on a Thursday. So we have the the Tuesday, Wednesday box office and in, uh, information, which uh, it pulled in $7 million on Tuesday screenings, which like, eight dollars of that or no twelve dollars of that was me and alex because amc has mm-hmm. discount tuesdays and why they didn't thing. why they didn't think to like not include mission impossible on that discount tuesdays is beyond me like they, they don't have a caveat of like excluding new releases because we need money yeah i don't understand I was surprised about that i was so confused when i went to get my tickets uh i was like why is it only six dollars it just said it was 13.75 and now it's six bucks. Like, what the hell is happening here? And then I looked it up and saw his discount Tuesday. I was like, I'm not going to complain, but that's dumb. <laughs> See if your goal is to make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so $7 million in Tuesday previews, which the Tuesday previews combine into the Wednesday bucket. So it made 15.5 million with that Tuesday, $7 million. It's projected to make 60 million over the weekend, which I think that that that'll probably go up because I think people will go back to see it. Uh, and I think more people will hear good word of mouth for this movie and they'll go see it. Uh, it is projected mm-hmm. to make about $160 million at the international box office. 
as it started on Wednesday, the 12th, uh, which will give it about a, a five day opening week of about $250 million, which that's almost the entire budget of the movie right there. Uh, I think it ballooned up to like 290 million because of COVID COVID. Yeah. It, it'll make its money back easily. I hope so. Um, I went and saw it alone. My, my wife and best friend still want to see it. They just didn't feel like coming with me on a, you know, spur of the moment. Hey, can you be here in 10 minutes on a Tuesday? Uh, so we'll go see you again. I'm excited to see you again. Uh, I'm going to have to fit it between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Just skip Oppenheimer. Like I, I really don't, I do not, other than seeing that explosion, I do not get the appeal of that movie. Other, Like I get there's Christopher Nolan attached to it, but the dude hasn't made like a really intriguing movie since the dark Knight, in my opinion. I have to agree with you because I find him stale not uh, not stale um sterile i think he i think he has some really good he could be a really amazing producer because he has yes. a really good eye for certain things like the i forget the name of the robot in interstellar but yeah, like the, 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 that the, the, that yeah that robot is a really cool concept and i think he can be a really good manager of a production but as a director, I think he has hit his pinnacle. Like he is, he is beyond his prime. He's mostly just stroking his own ego and Warner brothers gave him free reign because he did the dark Knight and made a billion dollars with a, the dark Knight And then a really bad, the dark Knight rises. I want to see Oppenheimer because I like, I find that story interesting. I've looked into it. I've read, you know, I've read that book. Um, I've just finished listening to last podcast on the left. They did a six episode series about the Manhattan project. And I could find I, there's a lot of tension in there and there's a lot of truth. And then there's a lot of fallout, political fallout of how they treated Oppenheimer after that, that happened to kind of get rid of him. So I was wondering what the movie will be covering. It seems like it's going to be a, a disjointed, like semi courtroom drama and then like narrative wit, uh, witness testimony or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I want, I think he's going to try to mom- memento it. Yeah. And I think it's pretty obvious uh, all the future stuff will be in black and white courtroom drama or a debriefing meeting or something um, yeah. that'll be fronted by Robert Downey Jr.'s character. And then when we flash back, it's the building of the team to build the bomb and then the building of the bomb and yeah, a fif- apparently a 15 minute sex scene with Fl- Florence Pugh. Um, it just nothing about almost anything he has produced in the last God, 15 years has really appealed to me. I'm largely done with his stuff. And if you look at his box office numbers, it looks like audiences kind of are too, because his box office numbers continue to drop. Like maybe Oppenheimer breaks that trend, but I think Barbie's going to destroy Oppenheimer at the box office. Yeah. We'll see. All right, Alex. (laughs) <laughs> we we've gone a little over our usual hour but uh, this is a really fun conversation and uh yeah. go writers and actors beat those studio execs and with that we're going to get out of here so you can follow me on twitter at josh underscore scar you can follow the podcast at talking smack pod you can also find us on threads instagram discord uh please join the discord server you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com thank you to leo allen for our musical themes alex who's remixing our theme this week Lauren Balfe, because we did not mention, but that music was freaking fantastic. Yes, the music was. 
Thank you to Beppo for our original avatars. Thank you to Retro Ale Studios for our Ricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. And most of all, thanks so much for listening. Alex, thank you again for being here. And everyone, take care. And yeah, watch Star Trek. But apparently don't listen to our podcast about it, you bastards. (laughs) It's a good episode. You guys should be downloading it. And even if you don't like it, we're doing a Strange New World Season 2 episode, so... Yeah! (laughs) Strange New World is actually good. It's entirely possible to be relaxed and extremely uneasy at the same time. No, sir. You do it all the time. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, he doesn't.